that you have set for it to do. Let it accomplish all that you have set it to accomplish. For God, we know it's by your word that we live, God. It's by your word. Uh, and in you, Jesus, that the words were framed, for you are the word of God. And, Lord, I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice, whether in the building or online, God, that you touch them, that they receive what you have for them to receive. Give us a word, O oh God, to feed your people. God, help us to learn from you and be impacted by you in the name of Jesus and live our lives for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. I am super, super duper excited to be here. I really am. It's a wonderful day. It's cool in Michigan. It's not cold in Michigan. Um, we've had beautiful days and beautiful skies. God is blessing us here uh, in the great state of Michigan, in the great city of Royal Oak, uh, Metro Detroit proper. And I'm so glad to see all you guys today. Well, we have two chapters today. We're not going to stay long in chapter 36. Uh, I'm going to let you go home and read 36 just for your personal reading. Uh, and the reason is that 36 is basically recapping. Uh, this is going to be one of the last mentions we see of Esau. Um, Jacob and Esau are about to split, and this is basically giving, um, teaching about what happens to Esau, um, that Esau's people go south of Israel. Um, the Edomites live just south of Judah. So if you saw a picture of Israel, you would see northern Israel. Uh, you would see southern Israel, known as Judah, and beneath there, you would see Edom, or the, where the Edomites lived. So it's important to know that because if you're going to continue your Bible study, you'll see all these names pop up. So it's good to go back and read these genealogies and know who these people are. When you hear about the Moabites, you'll know that they're descendants of Lot and that all of them came from Terah. And some of them came from Abram and some of them came from Nahor. Those, those genealogies will make sense later on in the Bible as you begin to go through and you say, well, why are these people mad at these people? Why are these people arguing with these people? There's always a history. And knowing those things will make it make sense to you and enrich your experience in the Bible. Um, there are some things God does bless Esau. Um, and e if you go down around East 36 and 15, it talks about the chiefs of Esau, uh, that, uh, these are the sons of Eliphaz, uh, Genesis 36 and 15. These are the sons of the chiefs of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the first bond of Esau, the chiefs, Timon, and it goes through a long list of those people. What I want you to settle on is that how faithful God is, although Esau gave up his birthright, although Esau... Uh, was flipping toward God, that God still saw a way to bless him, even in that. And that's actually the answer to the question of, uh, of number one, 36 covers the descendants of Esau, and they are called Edomites. Does anybody remember why he's called Edom? What does Edom mean? What color does Edom mean? I'll give you a hint. Edom represents a color. It represents red, Edom. That's why he's called Esau is called Edom because, number one, he was red and he was hairy. And also he sold his birthright for what kind of soup? Red stew. <laughs> and so he is known uh, as Edom. And so his people are known as the Edomites. Uh, and so we'll see that. But God blesses and he's faithful. We'll see in verse 31, and that's all I'm going to do at 36 for the most part. It says, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom. It's talking about all of those people who came uh, in, in uh, Esau's line. Let's read that together. They have it on the screen. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. So we know the Israelites go through a period of judges. They have to go through slavery. They have to go through a lot of things. But they end up having kings even before Israel has kings. So they, they multiply and they become great, but they soon fizzle out. So don't get upset when people get ahead of you. Just because it's their day today doesn't mean it might not be your day tomorrow. That God has a long-lasting covenant with Jacob. And so he's going to talk uh, about all the things um, that happened with Jacob. So we're going to start um, with chapter 37. Chapter 37 begins another shift in the narrative. We've started, uh, we started Genesis with Adam, right? And Adam went all the way down to the wicked people. And then we got to a uh, beyond the covenant of Genesis 315, where God says, 
you will bruise his head. I will put enmity between you and the woman and her seed and your seed. You will, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so everything is about the promised seed. Everybody say promised seed. So every time we see a transition, we should keep in our mind that this seed is traveling. This seed has traveled all the way down through, uh, from Adam all the way down to a uh, Jewish man who wasn't Jewish at the time. Uh, he is the first uh, progenitor of the Jews named Abram. And Abram has a son. He has two sons, one of them, and we'll see both of those sons' descendants tonight. One of them is called Isaac. We know. Can anybody remember what the other one's his name is? Mm -mm. that's his grandson what's Abraham's other son Abraham has two sons they both start with I Isaac and who Ishmael Ishmael is the other brother Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation so you have we often forget that because in the covenant and through this promise seed we see Abraham Isaac and Jacob but Abraham had two sons that are in this narrative but we also know that Abraham had more than those sons and more daughters as well so we know Abram was very fruitful and he multiplied but the storyline is going the Bible is following Moses is following a particular storyline by the aid of the Holy Spirit so then we get to Abraham then we get to Isaac Isaac marries a lady named Rebecca and what do you remember about Rebecca Rebecca has how many children she's the first time we see what more not just one baby but what two we see twins in her room and they are Jacob and who? Es Esau. They're Jacob and Esau. Uh, and so because they have Jacob and Esau, we see some favoritism happen because Isaac likes Esau better because he likes stew and he likes wild game and Esau is a hunter. Jacob uh, is loved by his mother more and that favoritism caused a rift that ends up with uh, her helping her son steal the blessing from her, his father and going into hiding for what? How many years? Can you remember how many years Jacob went into hiding? How long was it? 14. It, was, it was 20. Pretty close. He was 20 years. 20 years. So what, what does this mean? This means that we need to take time and go back when we go over these things. Continually read the word every day. Refresh it in your mind. Refresh it in your memory. Because because these things will come and go. But it's, you're doing pretty good. So we see that Jacob is now uh, the promised seed. He's carrying the promised seed. And Jacob has how many sons? How many sons does Jacob have? How many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. So Jacob has twelve sons. And so we know that three of those people have three of those sons. Most times blessings go a lot of times. Now every now and then the Bible We'll switch it because you'll see later that Joseph switches his hands and we see that God flipped it on his head that Jacob was second but God favored Jacob he said Esau have I hated Jacob have I loved but we see something um, that's very interesting today uh, as we get into this lesson that same favoritism that followed in the lives of Jacob and uh, Esau how many of you know that when you have children if you don't handle your issues your issues become what their issues that if you if you you have a propensity that you refuse to deal with, that's why it's important for us to grow as Christians. It's important for us to grow as Christians. Why? Because as Christians, we have to realize that our kids don't do what they what we say. They do what we what do. So it's important for us to make sure uh, that we're living that. So we're about to see this favoritism come uh, come about, and we also see that the first sons of Jacob. Uh, are losing their birthright or losing their position. Number one, Reuben sleeps with his father's concubine, so that disqualifies him. And you have Simeon and Levi, their sister gets raped, and so they decide to kill an entire town. Remember that? So the promised seed will now come to the fourth son, Judah. Before, and they'll mention Judah a little bit coming through here. But most of the rest of this story and the rest of Genesis is going to be around Rachel's oldest boy. His name is, can anybody tell me what his name is? Benjamin's the youngest. Benjamin's the youngest. Very good. Who's the oldest, though? There's two sons. There's Benjamin, and who's the next one? Joseph. That was it. The, the fact that you knew that who the other son was is pretty impressive. Everybody else just kind of, uh, i wait for her to answer. <laughs> <laughs> you're over two but that's okay very good so we have that Rachel has two children she has Joseph and she has Benjamin uh, and she dies 
Uh, Benjamin's the oldest. And, uh, well, she has Benjamin and she has Joseph. She dies while she uh, is giving birth uh, to Benjamin. Because remember we talked about that, that his name, she wanted to call him Ben-Onan, the son of my what? Mourning. And that uh, his father renamed him to Benjamin, which means son of my what? Right hand. But we're going to focus on Joseph. Joseph is very important for the rest of the storyline. So we're going to see some things happen with Joseph. Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel. And, and, and that's one of the questions. Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel and Jacob. This is special because out of Jacob's two concubines uh, or his two slave servants that he has children by and by his two wives, which is the one that he loves the most? Rachel. I heard somebody say in the back, Rachel. He loves Rachel the most. Although, um, although Leah produced more, more children, Rachel was the woman he loved. So what would be the likelihood that he may favor those children a little bit what? More. Because he really loves Rachel and now Rachel's gone. And what's his only connection now to Rachel? The sons. So what's the problem with that? Because they're the two youngest sons. And since they're the two youngest sons and you have 10 other sons that are in line uh, for everything else. And all of a sudden they see favoritism coming to these two younger sons. How do you think the family dynamic at home is going to work with that? Do you think your brothers are going to like you that much when they see that dad is always favoring them? He was always and everybody who has an old, young, older siblings or you've been the younger sibling, they'll go to the parents and say, you were never that easy on us. You were always hard on us. You let them get away with murder, don't you? You let them get away. With, you, you're bitter about that because you say you whoop me every day and then you just let him do what he wants to do. You were way harder on us. They get older and they, they get a little wiser and they realize some things are not worth that type of response. They, so they test out on the oldest. And by the time they get to the youngest, the youngest gets a more mature parent, hopefully. And so we, we've all had that issue. Either we've been, if we have siblings, either we're the child that the other ones don't like because you got away with everything or we're the child that is that, that, that can't figure out where everybody doesn't like him. I don't know what's, what's the problem. And see, we see this with Joseph. So let's see uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And let's read along. I went all the way down through there, one, to do a review, and two, so we could get context for where we are. What does it say? Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, wait a minute. He's already starting out bad. He's already starting. He's become a snitch and snitches get what? stitches and so they, they don't care for him already he's the youngest they already have different mamas uh, and babies mothers so we can already see we've seen this play out in today's culture when you have multiple mothers and multiple fathers and the children in the one home all of a sudden it becomes a tug of what war and the first thing he does when he gets a little little older is he starts snitching on his brothers so already you favorite and now you start snitching. So the love bank is really depleting for Joseph already with his brother. Some things he didn't have to do to be hated. They hated him just because of who he was. But when we look at this now, not only is the love bank depleted because they're just jealous, but now he's adding fuel to the fire. Uh, Y'all are okay. I know who that is coming in. Everybody turn around and see, see who that is. That's good. Nowadays, you have to look around in church when, when, you, when you see people walking in. But I'm watching. Shepherds watch. And we got a security team of watching too. All right, so uh, Joseph, Joseph uh, being 17 years old, he starts snitching. Wow, that, that's not going to help him. So let's see if his case gets any better. Look at Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. What does it say? Now, Israel loved Jacob more than any of his other sons. Stop. Where did he get that from? Where did he get that type of behavior from? He got it from his parents, didn't he? Have you ever stopped to think about maybe I should stop fussing at my kids because I'm really just fussing at myself? 
that they are really just me, that the parts of me that I don't like, and I see some things in them that I don't like, but uh, I must be honest that they're the things that I didn't deal with when I was rearing them, and now those things have raised up in them, and so uh, they're grown now. All I can do is what? Pray for them, be there for them, to guide them, and to mentor them. Uh, and so we see that Jacob is already playing favoritism. And so the, four, the question in number four says favoritism seeks to be called, seems to be causing a rift in Jacob's family. How destructive can favoritism be in a family? Somebody tell me. Jealousy. jealousy. It raises up jealousy. How, 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 Pastor Ernie, how can that be? How can that be destructive in a family? Uh huh. He can play. Mm -hmm. A little bit of animosity because one of your siblings might have a gift that the other one doesn't have. In your instance, one sibling may have had a gift for music and the other one didn't. So that that brings a little bit of animosity. And sometimes we know that as siblings, when we have the edge, we'll play up on that a little bit. Sometimes when we know we have a, a gift that somebody else doesn't, we'll kind of dig it in. So can't you imagine that a couple times if they have animosity toward Joseph, Joseph knows they has it. And every now and then he's probably playing on that. Like, yeah, you might be mad at me, but all I got to do is tell daddy. You know, he likes, you know, he really liked my mama. He really wanted to marry my mama. He just took your mama. Uh, that was just something he had to do. Can you imagine conversations like that out in the field? So they do not like him. He is not very well liked at the moment. So now he's given a bad report. He's favored by his father, which is causing animosity. Um, why? And why does it say he does that? He says it's because Jacob was the son of his what? old age. That's one of the reasons, but Benjamin is the son of his oldest age. So we know that part of the reason that Jacob, uh, Jacob is favoring him is because he is the son of Rachel. He's favoring them. And in his old age, he's loving those boys. And so he favors Benjamin and Joseph more than he does the other ones. And look at this. And what does he do? It says, and he made him a what? And he made him a robe of many colors. Now, some people look at that translation, and it can be translated that he made him a coat of long sleeves. Now, that doesn't make sense to us. But what that literally means is he made him something ornate, something that made him stand out. The coat or the dress or the garb that he gave him was something that nobody else had. And what that really indicated uh, is that that coat was a symbolic gesture. Generally, it's something that's given to the firstborn to show preferential treatment, to say, this one is my special one. This is my beloved son. So now he's the father of the mother. He's the son of the mother that his daddy really loved. He's the oldest son of the, of the mother of the father of the mother that his father really loves. He's snitching on his brothers, and now all of a sudden, his father gets him this expensive, ornate gift just to show everybody he's more special than you all are. Can you imagine how his popularity, he couldn't, get a, he couldn't win a poll right now. He'd be down in the polls, wouldn't he? <laughs> he, he? He would. He wouldn't be very popular at the moment. And so let's see how his brothers react. Let's see what verse 4 says. Let's read it together. It says, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. Wait a minute. He's not even hiding it. It's blatantly obvious. Now, everybody has a child that they favor more than the other. That doesn't mean they love the child more than the other, but they may have a connection. That child may be similar to them or something of the case. But a good parent treats every child fairly, and you don't let them know that this one's this, one's this way because you don't want them to feel like I love one of you less. No, I might not love one of you less, but if I like to hunt and you don't hunt, well, maybe we spend more time together than the other child. That doesn't mean I love this child less. That just means we spend time doing this. We have a common interest. But this means that Jacob loved this boy more, and he's not even trying to hide it. He needs a parenting class, doesn't he? <laughs> They saw, the Bible said they didn't figure it out. They didn't just guess it. They saw that he loved him more than all his brothers. Let's see what the result is. What, what, is, what comes after the comma? They what? They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him, which means they couldn't speak a kind word to him, which means if he woke up in the morning and came out, they went the other way. Morning, you make me sick. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how that, how that would go. 
How you doing? I see you. Can I come play with y'all? No. No, you can't come anywhere. Now, go over there and play by the string. But I can't swim. That's why we want you to go play by the string. <laughs> That's the type of relationship they have. They have a dysfunctional relationship. And so Jacob already has a dysfunctional relationship with his children because he's favoring one over the other. And now Joseph is, that's, we've seen three strikes already. He's a favorite son. He's got the coat of many colors. And he's a snitch. He, he, he's, just, he's just not winning. So let's see what happens. Now, here's one of his gifts. We see that Joseph is gifted because God gives him a what? Dream. And when, if God's giving him the dream, is it really his fault that God gave him the dream? It came from God. God wants him to have this dream. So let's see, um, 37 and verse 5, what does it say? Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He just can't win for losing. Verse 6, he said to them, hear the dream that I have dreamed. Now, let's, let's be honest. If they know that they don't like Jacob, uh, they don't like Joseph, then who else knows that they don't like him? Joseph knows that they don't like him. So when Joseph goes to tell this dream, could it be that when Joseph tells this dream, mm -hmm, the Lord has showed me something about you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with you. Show you what's really about to happen. This is, this is the dream that the Lord gave to me. How, how many times have we ever done that? Somebody done something to us in life, and, and you say the Lord's gonna get them for me. And you find scripture to, to come back and back that up that the God's gonna get them, and God's not in there. And then you get mad when God forgives them, but God doesn't give them. Why? Because that's still His child. And if He, and if He, He wants to forgive them, He doesn't really want to want to stab them. He's hoping that they repent. It's the God's not God's will that any man should what perish he wants all of us to repent but when we selfish and this is amazing this is just how we are in the church not this church thank goodness thank god that we're not like this but it's in the church at large a lot a lot of places around that you know what you know what ladies i see i see pastor talking a bunch of brother dave a whole bunch i think he like brother dave better than he like I ain't going to do nothing for him. Why don't you let Brother Dave go help him? Or could it be that Brother Dave's the business manager and he comes to the church a lot, so I just end up talking to Brother Dave. That could just be the case. <laughs> but what would we do in churches? Oh, he liked Brother Dave better. Oh, I saw him talking to Lamarck. He must have liked Lamarck. He took me to Lamarck. He never took me to <laughs> Don't people do little juvenile things like that in the church? I see the pastor liking him or putting her up. So it's just because they favor them more than them. Or could it be that the pastor doesn't favor them more, but that you're irresponsible and the pastor, whoever he or she may be, can count on them what? More. They're more faithful and they're reliable. And you'll say, well, the reason they're doing that is because they favor them. Could it be that you're not looking introspectively and saying the reason favors on them is because they're responsible. And if you do well, just like God told Cain, if you do not well, would I not what? Bless you. It's not that I'm favoring your brother over you. You're not doing what I asked you to what? Do. I can't count on you. Your heart's not ready. Your heart's not right. So we see a lot of uh, dysfunction. That's, that's very encouraging to us in the body of Christ because we like to hide our dysfunction. But here we see the promised seed of God is coming down through a very what? Dysfunctional family. This family is dysfunctional. Can we all agree that they, they're very dysfunctional? Father not doing what he needs to do. His daughter gets raped. He doesn't do anything. So his sons commit mass murder. And so now they're on the run. And now all of a sudden you think he would pay more attention to his kids. But now he openly favors other children above each other. And it's only going to get worse. So let's see what this dream said. Let's read it. I can't wait to hear this. Verse 5, it says what? Now Joseph had a dream. And let's read it together. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. I can imagine how he said it. Let's read verse 7. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed to my own sheaf. Uh-oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is becoming a problem. Man, so his brother said to him, verse 8, what does it say? Are you indeed to reign over us? He didn't even tell him what it meant. 
They can read between the lines of what he's saying. Oh, oh, that, it's like that, huh? So he says, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And that's where the topic comes from tonight. Dream killers. <laughs> Sometimes God will give you a dream. And that dream will have his purpose for you in his life. But that's what number six says. Joseph shows us it is unwise to share good news with bad company. In short, you cannot tell everybody your dreams. Everything God reveals to you and everything God blesses you with is not for everybody because some people can't what? Handle it. I know you're excited that you got a new car, but don't go putting everybody in it to ride in it. Because they're not happy about it. I know you made your financial goal and you got a certain amount of money in the bank. And you really want somebody to share it with. But guess what? Keep it to your what? Self. Because the very person you share it with that you can't trust, they'll smile like they're happy about it. But they're all about killing your what? Dream. And unfortunately in the body of Christ, don't you know if God, people like you here. I had a preacher tell me that one time. He said, will the people like you here? And he pointed to the ground. And then he said, some people will tolerate you here. He pointed to his waist. Then he said, very few people will uh, tolerate you here, He's, which he was saying, eye to eye is equals. Most people don't want to look at you as equals because it, it messes with their, their uh, inferiority complexes and it messes with their insecurity. But he said, there's very few that can take you here. That when God gets ready to elevate you, it's a lonely place. You know why? Because there's always somebody around saying it should have been what? Me. God's going to elevate you. I can preach just as good as you. Why? I can't be the pastor. I can sing just as good as you. Can't hold two notes in the bucket. But I can sing. I should be on the stage. Stage. They on the stage or whatever the case may be. Or I, I have a gifting. And why, why not me? They're starting a business. Why? Why not me? They're doing this. Why not me? And you hate to say it, but there are a lot of people in the world that are dream killers. And they will kill the dreams that God has put in your heart. That's why if God has given you something, you need to be careful of what you reveal to people. Because everybody that's on your, in your corner is not on your side. Everybody that's around you, they were familial. They were close to him, but they weren't in his corner. And when he told them what God was doing in his life or what God was going to do in his life, because who gave him the dream? God. Even though he might have stuck it in a little bit more because he was feeling oppressed and persecuted some. It's 10 to, 10 to 1, 11 to 1, 10 to 1, actually. Benjamin's not doing this to him. He's, young, he's too young for that. So when he says, God's going to lift me up, what do they do? I'm going to tell you something in life. Never worry about the, the loudness of your enemies. Worry about the silence of your friends. I'll say that one more time. Never worry about the loudness of your enemy. Worry about the silence of your friend. When God promotes you and they don't say a word, or you got a new book or a new ministry and they don't say nothing and they sneaky don't support it, <laughs> or you can tell that they forcing a smile when every time you say something good happened to you and every time you say something bad in your life, they there to console you and they really there for you. But as soon as good stuff start happening in your life, they start changing the subject. Be careful with whom you share your dreams. Because the world is filled with dream killers. The world is filled with people who want to kill what God has put in your life. They don't like the oil or the anointing that's on your life. They don't like the purpose that's on your life. And we know this is from God because God gave it to them. And we'll find out why. God did that on purpose. He knew what Joseph was going to do because he had a plan. And God was using that jealousy to get him to where he needed him to be. That he was lining them up. But be careful sometimes of the people with which you share your dreams. So they hated him for even more for his words. So let's see what happens. Most people talk about Joseph's dream. They don't realize that Joseph actually has two dreams that get him into this conundrum. He goes back, verse 9, what does it say? Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. You'd think he would have figured out the first time. 
So because he's getting things from God, it, if somebody can grab me another mic, and because uh, this one may be going out, I don't know if it's battery issues or whatever the case may be, but we just want to be here just in case. Let's see what he says. It might not go out. Let's, let's read. Behold, in other words, when he says behold, that means pay attention. Uh, uh, when he gets to this, he wants them to tell him. So verse nine, what did it say? Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. And he doesn't just tell him the dream. Behold, wait a minute. Come here. I need you to pay attention to this. Behold, look at this. Look at what God is doing for me. He is uber excited and they are uber upset. What does he say in this dream? Behold, what? Let's read it together. We're going to, he says, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are bowing down to me. In other words, my mama, my daddy, and all my 11 brothers. Now, by this time, his mother's gone, but this represents the patriarchy. So not only does the patriarchy and the matriarchy of Israel bow down to him, but all of his 11 brothers are bowing down what? To him. Oh, wow. They're bowing down to me. Verse 10, what does it say? But when he told it to his father, let's read this together. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, what is this dream you have dreamed? Now stop for a second. Remember I told you, some people can take you here. Some people could take you here. His brothers didn't even want to take it here. But now um, he's trying to outshine, so to speak, the master. He's telling his daddy, daddy, you got to bow to me too. <laughs> And daddy doesn't like this. So uh, he says, what is this dream that you have dreamed? What does he say? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Now, this is twice that he has not interpreted the dream. They interpreted it. They know what this means, but they don't like the result before you. And it says, and his brothers were what? Jealous of him. And his father kept the saying in mind. In other words, he stored that in the back of his mind. In other words, he didn't forget it. Which means that although he loved him, he kept his eye on it. <laughs> Do you know that some people around you, not because they want to be around you, but they watching you to try to make sure that you don't get too high? Don't you know some people are in your ministries and in your churches? They're not around your churches because they like your churches. They're around your churches because their ministries weren't prosperous. And when their ministries weren't prosperous, they don't want to see nobody else's ministry but prosperous. So they hang around. So when they see other people start to come, they're the first person always. You, see, you can see them in every church. They're always the friendliest people in the church. They're the people that make a beeline to people to make friends with them. Why? Because they want to pull them in the corner and pull them away. I've been doing ministry for, over, for, for all my life. I've been in the church for over 41 years. And I've seen this type of person all the time. That they're jealous of what God's doing in your life because they don't see God working in their life. And instead of seeking God for his purpose in their life, they try to seek to destroy the purpose of God. I've been in ministries where God is elevating a pastor that I'm helping or doing some other stuff and other people are pulling other people to them themselves. Why? They're hanging around not so they can see you shine. They're just waiting to see you fall. That's why they're hanging around. But little do they know, they should have read the end of the story because Paul says, what then if God be for it? Who can be against us? And God will use their hatred to elevate you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Come here, Judas. <laughs> you think you hurt me, Judas, but what you're really doing is while you put me on the cross, my goal was to draw all men unto me. And while I'm here, this is what Jesus did. Jesus never left a certain square mileage. He didn't go very far in his ministry. He didn't pull many people. He pulled a lot of people, but they were in the Judea area. But the Bible says, and if I be lifted, what? up, I'll draw all men unto me. So when Judas betrayed Jesus, he wasn't really hurting Jesus. He was helping Jesus. As a matter of fact, the person that you 
you think will be helping Jesus, which was Peter saying, Lord, we're not going to let this happen. We're not going to let them get, stop you from getting to the cross. He looked at him and said, what? Get behind me, Satan. Sometimes those people that you think are your friends are really your enemies because they're only close to you to keep you from the things and the pressures in life that God is trying to use to make you stronger. They're saving you from going through some stuff that God needs you to go through to get to where you're going because no cross, no what? Crown. Don't take away my cross. <laughs> Don't take away all my adversity. If it's meant to be moved, God, I pray that it's moved. But when I was young, they used to sing this song that said, Lord, don't move my mountain, but give me the strength to climb. And Lord, don't take away my stumbling block, but lead me on around. What does that mean? That sometimes we need to reevaluate the people in our life because some of the people that we think are for us are actually giving us a crutch and they are hurting us. They are keeping us from our destiny. Peter loved God, but Peter had a wrong mentality. He really didn't realize what he was saying and he allowed Satan to influence him to try to keep Jesus away from his mission and the very person we always talk about that low down no good dirty Judas had there been no Judas there would be no cross the Bible says he looked at Judas and said go do what you need to do it was appointed for him to do it. Woe unto him. You don't want your enemies to do you wrong, but sometimes your enemies can get you to your biggest blessings in life. And God does it sometimes. He uses the foolishness of the world to confound the wise. He'll take those people who don't even like you and make them think they're hurting you and make people pull out from you and pull people from you. And he, what he, God is really doing is he's thinning the crowd. Sometimes, come here, pastor. You may think that you have some nosy people in your church or some people that are gossiping in your church and they're pulling people away. But God may be using those people to get the wrong people out of your circle. And when he gets those people out of your circle, he might be thinning out the crowd why to bring in the people that need to be in that crowd because he has a blessing that those people don't they're not able to handle and their shoulders can't bear it you get upset when some friends leave your life and people talk about you but be glad when people leave you off of rumors that they heard about you because if they'll believe a rumor and walk away from you without talking to you and finding out the truth they didn't like you in the first place Paul says, what then? If they left us, they were never with us to begin with. If you leave me or you leave and you can't listen to the ministry that God has given to me because of what somebody else said and you never heard it or seen it for yourself, you were never with me in the first place. You were looking for a reason. Everybody in your circle is not in your corner. Because if you really love somebody, you'll go to them and find out the truth for your what? Self. You don't allow somebody else to tell you who somebody is. You go find out for your what? Self. Isn't it amazing how we destroy politicians that we don't even know? And we say wicked, evil things about them, depending on whatever our political bent is. We don't know those people. Their mothers and their fathers, and some of them, maybe they do have wicked agendas. I'm pretty sure some of them do. Some of them have good agendas. But how quick we are to attack people that we don't even really know. Just because you're around them don't mean that you what? Know them. They couldn't speak a kind word to Joseph, which means they never really took time to get to what? Know him. You can't get to know nobody you won't speak to. So they're paying attention. Let's move on. Everybody said, beware of the dream killer. Verse 12. Is this helping somebody tonight? Amen. Hallelujah. This is blessing me. Joseph sold by his brothers. Verse 12. What is this? Now his brothers went up to pasture. Their father's flock near Shechem. That's where they're supposed to be. And Israel said to Joseph, uh-oh, here it comes again. I need my snitch. Come here, boy. I need you to come tell me what they're doing because you know they won't do right. So I need you, Jacob. I need you, Joseph, to go tell me what they're doing. And so Israel said to Joseph, let's read it together. Are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. So he said, go see now if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. In other words, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. 
I can count on my snitch. Every parent knows their child. <laughs> so what does he say? So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering the fields. A man asked him, what are you seeking? He says, I'm seeking my brothers. Tell me, please. Jacob was right. They are not in Shechem where they're supposed to be. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Are they supposed to be in Dothan? No. They're supposed to be where? In Shechem. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So now they know they're not where they're supposed to be. They don't like him. And they know they're not doing right. And he's a snitch. And nobody who's doing wrong ever likes a what? Snitch. As soon as you say, oh, here he go. He going to tell the pastor. I don't, I can't hang around Brother Dave. He hang around the pastor too much. He might tell, tell pastor what I really said about him behind his back. I know, I'm just joking because I know we had a problem here. You guys give a great outpouring of love to us. And thank you for those of you who are online that, that did all those wonderful things for us. Um, those cards and some of those words, I'm not going to talk about it because I'm going to cry. Um, but some of those things that you said and some of the things that you did were over the top. And we're so grateful. This is our year anniversary here. So we're. We're, we're, we're so grateful for the love and outpouring that you showed us and the kind words and the prayers. And we're really grateful. But I'm going to get back to this because I'm not going to cry on camera. So let's go. <laughs> I'm going to try not to. Sunday sometimes I can't help myself. Um, they saw him afar off, verse 18. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to what? Kill him. Oh, wow. And we know that Simeon and Levi are in the bunch. They got plenty of experience in killing people. They have massacred an entire city. So he's just one person. He's a what? Goner. It's not that they're just saying, I want him dead. They have the means and the capability to make it happen. So this is not good for him. They're conspiring against him. I want to talk to somebody and let you know that, thank you, Holy Ghost, that your name is being spoken in rooms that you know nothing about. And there are people that may be conspiring about you. They may be conspiring to, to do things to you, to kill your dreams, to kill your ministry, and kill your, kill your life. And, and that's the bad news, that your name is being said in rooms that you know uh, that you know nothing about. There are rooms, places where people are talking about you behind your back and smiling in your face. But you know what the good news is, Victor? There are rooms that people are talking about you and rooms that you know about nothing about. Because just like they're having conversations with you, God is having conversations about you too. Hmm. So they're getting ready to kill him. Verse 19. What does it say? They said to one another, here comes the what? Dreamer. Wow. Let's tell them about these dreams. Here come the dreamer again. I wonder what he got for us this time. I got something for his dream. Going to be easy, to, hard to buy without a head. <laughs> we finna kill him. This is their brother. Do you see how wicked this is? I know you can have some differences. And I got siblings. I know you have a few differences. But most of them don't end and I want to murder you. <laughs> this is bad. Jacob's family is very dysfunctional. That's why you can trust the validity of the Bible because the Bible doesn't whitewash its heroes. It tells the good, the bad, and the what? Ugly. It tells all of it. Here comes the dream. But verse 20 says, what? Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dream. You know what? Lamarck trying to start a business. Let me get around everybody that he might use for the business and badmouth his name. Then we'll see what becomes of his dream. Victor trying to start a church. Let's find everybody that go to his church and start telling them all the bad stuff that he used to do. We'll see what becomes of his church. That's what evil does in the hearts of people. Truly evil people that can't stand to see other people prosper. That's when you know, you can tell a wicked person. When they have a device to destroy somebody, this is wickedness in their hearts. And they're the sons of Jacob. Mm. Then we'll see. You see how snarky that is? We'll see what will become of your dream. We're going to kill you. Verse 21. 
Let's read it together. What does it say? But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But don't lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. They've gotten so wicked that Reuben's taken his father's wife. He's not the most, his father's concubine. He's not the most moral man in the world. But he said, wait a minute now, you, you're going too far now. This is, this is too far. I know I took daddy's wife I, and, I, and I had my way with her. But this is just, this is going too far. You can't come back from this, you know. Uh, and so uh, at least even the sinner has some kind of morals about it. Sometimes people in the church can do things that even sinners would cringe at. All of us in the church, if we're not careful. Wow, this is must-see TV, but it's must-see Bible, isn't it? This is wild. And so Reuben convinces them, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit. But he's doing this so he can come back and save him later. So what does verse 4, 23 say? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. They took, they tried to kill his favor. They tried to strip his reputation. They tried to strip everything that reminded him that his father loved him. They tried to strip everything that reminded him of who he was. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because when God gets ready to elevate you, Lamarck, it's going to be people that are always trying to remind you of where you used to come from and your mistakes. They're going to try to strip you of where God has placed you now and just to try to strip you so you'll only think of where you used to be. No, they don't want you to think of Lamarck that shows up to church every Sunday now. Lamarck that praises the Lord and Lamarck that has a Bible in his hand and Lamarck that's showing up faithful to church and Lamarck that's serving the past. They don't want that. They're going to try to strip you of everything to remind you of who you used to be and your used to be mistakes. Why? Because they're trying to kill you. I don't want you to have anything that would identify with you that'll let you know that the favor of the Father is on your life. Hallelujah. Because that was, that's what that coat represents. The favor of the Father is on your life. And there were many people that don't want you to know that the favor of the Father is on your life. That doesn't mean that everything good is going to happen in your life. We'll see that through the story of Joseph. But ultimately, even through the bad stuff, the favor of the Father is still on his what? Life. So they stripped his coat, but they couldn't strip his anointing. Oh, Jesus. They strip the things that would make people think he had favor, but favor is intangible. It, the favor is not in the coat. <laughs> Guess what? The favor is not in the church. The favor is not in your business. If your business goes down and they destroy your business, if the favor of God is on your life, God will give you 10 businesses to replace that one. The favor is not in your ability to preach or in the, your ability to minister. If the favor of God is on your life, you can come down to two members and God will make it 2,000 because the favor is intangible. They may take the stuff, but they can't take the favor of God from your life. Aren't you so glad? That men don't determine your destiny. Men don't determine where you are. Look how brutal they are. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him in a pit. And the pit was empty, which means there's no water in the pit to even soften the blow. So if it's a 20-foot pit, he just had a 20-foot fall. He could have broke, he could have broke bones. There could be scorpions in the pit. There could be spiders in the pit. There could be vipers in the pit. They didn't care what was in the pit, but they threw him in that pit with a disrespect regard for his life and there was no water in it he had a hard fall sometimes in life guess what you're gonna have a hard fall how do I know because sometimes in life I've had hard falls and guess what if you will just trust in God you may have a hard fall and you might be in a pit in your life and your life might not look like the dream that God gave you good God Almighty God may have given you a dream and right now you're looking around and you're saying God this doesn't look like the dream you gave me you told me that I would have a you told me that I would have a business and I could barely uh, I could barely put food on the table. You told me I would be a father, a good mother, and I'm not even married. God, you told me that I would have an abundance and I feel broken. God, you told me I would pray for the sick and they would be healed. And I don't have enough strength right now where I am in my life to even pray for myself. Sometimes the anointing that's on your life does not match your present situation, but just hold on. The pit is temporary. 
The enemy wants you to focus on the fact that you've been stripped of what, what, what has been around you. The enemy wants you to focus on where you are in life. He wants you to focus on the pit because the pit is small and it's confined. And when you look around you, all you can see is that I'm confined by what's around me. But this is the cool, cool news about it. When you're in the pit, you don't look left, right, back. You know the best place to look is up. You look up because on the up, you can see the inhibited. I can get out of this somehow. I will lift mine eyes to the hill from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, or the word of God said that he shall not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that watches over Israel, slumbers not, nor does he sleep. You may be in a pit right now. You might be in an emotional pit. You might be in a psychological pit that you know, God, I know you promised me this, but where I am in life does not look like what you promised to me. You may be an emotional pit where you've, you've lost a loved one and you say, God, I don't feel like I'm blessed. I don't feel like I'm favored. I don't feel like, like things in my life are going good. That's because you're just at the, you're just at chapter 39. Joseph has 20 more chapters to go. He and God has not finished the chapters in your life and you cannot treat this chapter like it's the final chapter. Somebody say it's not over. <laughs> you may not make as much money as you want to make. You might not have the influence you want to have. You might not have the ministry manifested that you think it needs to be manifested. But just because this chapter doesn't have it doesn't mean that God doesn't now have another chapter for your life. He told them in Jeremiah 29, build houses. You're going to be here for 70 years. You're going to be in captivity. It's going to be ugly for you for a while. It's not going to look like the blessing of Israel that I put on your life. Build houses and marry and have family. You're not coming out of this situation right now. I'm not going to tell you you're coming out of debt tomorrow. You can turn around three times, but guess what? Your bill's still coming tomorrow. We need to hear that sometime. You still going to look in your bank account and you're not going to have a supernatural blessing. Your bank account going to say zero or negative like it did yesterday. But the good news is that you won't be here always. <laughs> for I know the plans that I have for you plans to prosper you and to give you hope and a future. Sometimes we do a disservice to people by preaching Jeremiah 29, 11, and when we preach it to them, we preach that everything is going to be just perfect in their life. No, when God is preaching in Jeremiah, he's preaching to people who are going into bondage and captivity. Their life is going to be horrible, and he says, you might well learn to live life in this situation. You're going to have to deal with this chronic oppression, but at the end of it, I'm going to bring my people out. i got a word for you tonight. I've got a word to speak over. You might not be where you want to be right now. Your health might not be where it is. Your family's health, your situation, you might be in a pit and you might feel like giving up. But you showed up tonight and God has something better for you. He knows the plan that he has for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to prosper you. But you live in a fallen world. So sometimes you're going to have to go through some things. Sometimes you're going to have to have some struggles. Life is not a 30-minute sitcom where you turn around and all of a sudden you come out at the end of the sermon and everything is going to be all right. Sometimes you're going to have to bleed. Sometimes you're going to have to cry. Sometimes you're going to have to travail in the spirit and get on your knees and say, God, give me the strength because what I'm going through doesn't look like you, what you told me I would have. And I'm getting weak and I'm getting faint in my heart. The Bible says even youth will faint, but they that wait upon the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. Don't worry about the dream killers. <laughs> you know why? Because I know the dream maker. <laughs> and what God gives life to, no man can kill. They can try to slow it down. They can throw a monkey wrench in it. They can kill your character, but they can't kill your dream. <laughs> they can kill your progress for a second, but they can't kill your dream. God's going to do it. That's why he put that scripture on my heart. Isaiah 50, he said, as the dew comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so shall my word be that it shall not go out and come back void, but it shall accomplish all that I have said it to do, every promise that the word of God has for your life. Guess what? God is going to bring it to pass. Why? Because God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should change his mind. If he said it, Pastor Ernie, he's going to do it. It might not be in the way you thought it might be. 
but you're still Pastor Ernie. If he said it, he's going to do it. You don't need a building to be a pastor. If he said it, will he not do it? He's not a man that he should lie. No, the son of man that he should change his mind. Victor, you may have some mistakes in your life, but you are not your mistakes. God can bring still to pass. You still can be the father that you want to be. If he said it, will he not do it? Mark, you not your past mistake. If he said it, will he not Don't let somebody, don't let some knucklehead kill your dream because they didn't give you your dream. And if you didn't give it to me, you can't take it away. Jesus. He's in the pit. Let's go ahead because I'm running out of time. I think I ran out of time. Y'all tired? Y'all got a few more minutes to read through this? Reuben buys him some time. Reuben intends to walk off and come back and and get him, but this is what they do. Huh. This is we have found. Hallelujah. Verse 29. Well, verse 25. They, when they sat down to eat, you can read it with me when they pull it on the screen. I think it's already there. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Now you see Ishmael's people coming back in. from Coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it to where? Egypt. Where's Joseph's destiny? Egypt. <laughs> the people that's trying to kill you are actually trying to, God's using them to transport you to your destiny, and they don't even know it. Huh? They sat down and ate with their brother in a pit, not knowing if his neck or his arm was broken. you imagine if he's in a pit and they beat him? They've taken his coat. He's crying in that pit. Can you imagine that they that cold-hearted that he said, I'm sorry, I'm hurt. There's a snake in here. There's a viper in here. There, there are scorpions in here. I'm sorry, will you help me? And he's crying for mercy. And they sitting there having a meal. Oh, Jesus. There's some cold-hearted people in the world. But God is your protector. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high God shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. God's protecting him because God has a plan for his life. Mm. Oh, Jesus. Sister Bernice, you brought that out. That, that is, they, they sitting there eating. That, how cold is that? Now let's see what they do. Verse, we're going to go down. And, and it said uh, uh, right here in verse 26, Judah and it gets a little, a little shaky. He says, what profit will, is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? In other words, well, if we just kill him, we don't get nothing out of it. Come, let us sell him to Ishmaelites and let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. He's starting to get a conscience. <laughs> and his brothers listened to him. The, then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and they lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now watch this. I want you to pay attention to this. Let's read verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he what? Tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. Where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped it in blood, dipped the robe in blood. Now I want you to see something in a second. Keep, keep that verse in mind. And they sent the robe of Minnesota and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. They didn't lie. They, was, they, they were deceitful. They said, this we have found. How did you find it? Well, we beat your son and took it. They left that out. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. They let him come to his own conclusion. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph was without doubt torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments. He's mourning and put sackcloth on his, on his loins and mourned for his, Lord, his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol. That's my son mourning. Thus 
His father wept for him. In other words, he's saying, I'm depressed and I'm never going to get better. I'll, I'll never come back from this. I'll never recover from this. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt, the, uh, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, to the captain guard. So number six, number seven says Reuben tries to rescue his brother. Number eight says this, Jacob's uh, brothers threw him into an empty pit. But, uh, but nine says Judah convinces his brother to sell his Joseph to the Israelites. I want you to pay close attention to 10. Jacob, what did Jacob use to deceive his father? What animal did he use when he wanted to pretend that he was Esau? Can you remember? He used the goat. Jacob slaughtered a goat. He slaughtered a goat and he took the goat skins. His mother took them and put them on his hand. He used the goat to deceive his father and to steal his brother's birthright. Be ye not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What does Jacob's sons use to deceive him? A goat. They kill a goat and they use it to deceive their father. What goes around comes around. The very modes of deception he used came right back around what? To him. Wow. But here is the key part, and we need to zero in on this verse as we get ready to leave. And I'm a little bit over my time. And thank you for those who watch every week and stay to the end. It says, verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites sold him into Egypt. And they didn't just sell him to anybody. They sold him to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. They sold him into a place that had influence. Sometimes you think your step back is a step down and God may be positioning you <laughs> for a step up that you couldn't do on your own. He would, if he was still in the field in Canaan, he would have no influence with Pharaoh and God has allowed the evilness of his brothers to move him right into Pharaoh's court. And we're going to see through these next things. This is exciting, isn't it? This is, a, this is some, some good stuff that how God, you might think, and I want to encourage, let this be an encouragement to somebody who's going through a tough time right now. I know some people are going through tough times. You're losing loved ones and all sorts of things. You might feel like you're losing your mind. God doesn't cause all those things. We have sick, sickness and sin and evil in the world, but he can cause all those things to work for good, and it does not catch him by surprise. Brother Dave, I'm pretty sure across your lifespan, you've had a few setbacks in life that made you feel like giving up. <laughs> Brother Dave said more than one. I'm pretty sure you've looked a couple of times at somebody else and said, you know what? I started with them and they way ahead of me. And, and, and it felt like, man, I wish I'd have made better choices. But guess what? We're not on our time. We're on God's time. And just because some of your life seems like it's going backwards and you may be in a pit does not mean that God doesn't have a plan for your life. Now, I'm not telling you the plan is all roses and that the plan is all God has a plan for everyone's life. For I know the plans I have for you. That's not just for Israel. God has a plan for everybody's life. The problem is that we're always looking for that plan to be super grandiose. And the plan may simply be just to be a good Christian or a good father or a good mother. It may not be to impact millions of people. It may be. But whatever that plan is, just know you are significant and he has that for you. Pray that you allow him to use you the way he wants to use you. Unfortunately, how that's going to happen is God uses things. Not all things are good, but God calls all things to work for good. And sometimes God will use wickedness in the world because he's God. He can use it. He said, come here, lion spirit. I need you to go talk to Ahab. I don't like lying, but even Satan, I can use you. Satan can't do nothing that God don't allow, can he? He allowed Satan to touch Job. And now, people over the world who are going through things and need patience and need encouragement for what God does and want to be closer to God and understand his divine will, they can go to the book of what? Job. God wants to raise up some new Christians. 
I'm not talking about new neophyte Christians, a new type of Christian, a new Christian that's not looking for a gospel that tells them everything's going to happen good in them in life. He's looking for real Christians that are mature and are able to weather the storm and navigate the toughness of life. That are not always looking for an escape, but are saying that I am crucified with Christ. No longer I. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, nevertheless, I live. Hallelujah. Jesus. Has this been a blessing to anybody tonight? Amen. Amen. This has enriched us. This enriched me. And I'm going to go back and listen to this again. I go back and I listen to it and I listen to myself, preach to myself sometimes. And I get convicted when I hear myself preaching to myself sometimes. And I have to go pray and I have to have to change some things myself. If it's good enough for y'all, it should be good enough for me. I, I, I don't preach things that I don't I don't follow. I may not be best um, to, to be humble and live according to what God has called, called me to do and to, to be the best example that I can be in fallen flesh. So we're grateful for you tonight. Any questions, any comments? They get scared. <laughs> yeah, that's why. They, they, had, they had it coming. They knew I got it coming. When they, when they realized, and I, for those of you who haven't gotten that far, when they realized that Joseph was alive and his dream was real and that they standing in front of their brother in a few chapters, they, they know they're done for because they know what they deserve. But it shows to the character of who Joseph has become. You know that God's working on you when you can look at those who've done you wrong and you pray for them and you show them merciful. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall what? Obtain mercy. I say it this way. The mercy you give, make the mercy you need. To those of you who are still online with us tonight, we're so grateful uh, that you're here. If you're not saved, we want you to have a relationship with Christ, and we welcome you to do that. If you want to be a part of Encounter Church, you're welcome to come. It's 600 North Campbell uh, Road, Royal Oak, Michigan, where we what? Reach the law, teach the found, and change the world. One life at a time. And we're hoping that life is you. If we're impacting your life in any way, um, let your offering be to give words of encouragement. Let us know that we're impacting you. Follow us online on all the platforms that we have, uh, and we'll, we'll pray for you while you pray for us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, and we pray that it will uplift, bow down heads, and give encouragement uh, to those who need it in a time of need, God. We thank you for your divine sovereignty and your providence that you work even through all the pitfalls and conundrums of life, God, that you cause even bad things to work for what you want us to do in your life. May we be submitted to your will for our life. And Lord God, even if that plan that you have for us doesn't end in the way we want it, God, the plan you have for Paul ended on the chopping block. But whatever that plan you have for us, let us have the will in mind to accept it and do it for your glory. And that you may be glorified because we know you have a crown of life for us. And we'll be careful to give you the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give you a hand, a hand clap and give God a, a praise.